Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 2. And the last time we looked at Galatians 1, and the title was The Power to Change. And that was just a really good message based on the scripture because, you know, it kind of coincided with New Year's resolutions. I want to change. I want to do this. I want to get rid of bad habits. Uh, people read all these self-help help books, and, you know, there's some good information in there. But truly, the power to change comes from, from God. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you to get that message if you weren't here for that. Uh, if we really believe there's things about ourselves that we don't particularly care for, that cause us problems in relationships, you know, the Lord is the answer. And today we're going to look at the message. It's called Going Against the Grain. And that from within. And this is interesting because the Apostle Paul, he, he's a zealous religious person, becomes a Christian, and now he's on fire for the Lord. But he found that within the Christian culture there were some issues, just like we might find today. And, of course, any of us in our uh, eras of influence, maybe within our Christian friends or the Christian things that we do with, there's some things that are just not godly. And sometimes Christians, they give each other a pass, but they kind of use like a straw man argument and they point fingers at the world. Those atheists, those homosexuals. And what it does is it takes the, the spotlight away from us. You know, in 1 Corinthians 5, if you read that chapter, the Apostle Paul had higher expectations for the people of faith than he had for the world. I would encourage you to read that when you, when you go home today. Uh, so he went against the grain from the inside, and it caused some problems. He, the Apostle Paul laid everything on the line to deal with these aberrations, and the Lord Jesus may ask us to do the same thing within our communities, to be reformers. And we've even seen throughout the centuries, like Martin Luther tried to reform his faith, you know, the, the Christianity that he was following, because he said, there's some just bad things in this that we have to deal with. And, you know, don't be surprised, brothers and sisters. You might say, well, what are, I'm small. That's what we do. We read the Bible, we look at historical figures, and we make them larger than life. Well, I'm going to show you a portion of Scripture with the Apostle Paul and Peter. If you haven't read it before, it's probably going to blow your doors off. It's a remarkable portion of Scripture. So we're going to look at four major points in this, and we're going to look at the Apostle Paul going against the grain in the Jerusalem Council, and then also in his dealings with the Apostle Peter. So, really exciting. Let's check it out, starting with verse 1, Galatians 2. He says, then after 14 years, so the Apostle Paul gets saved, he's, he's praying, he's growing, he's maturing. After 14 years, I went up against, or again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and also took Titus with me, and I went up by revelation. And communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, meaning the pillars of the faith, the ones that God had set up, the apostles, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So I'm going to try to make, I'm going to give you filler, I'm going to give you context, I'm going to try to make sense of this. The Apostle Paul recounts the first point where and when. He goes to defend the gospel of salvation with respect to the Gentiles. He goes up to Jerusalem to do it. 
And what is this gospel of salvation? Well, it's, the gospel means good news. What better news is there that Jesus Christ died for our sins? That we don't have to earn salvation. We don't have to pay back salvation. And to some, it's just too good to be true. And literally, it is too good to be true. You know, we live in a, in a, a, a portion of the United States, and there's always these scams, and people call you up and say, we're from the IRS, we're from Microsoft. Man, don't fall into that stuff. But there's always try, somebody trying to separate you from your money or your valuables or loved ones. And that's the culture we live in. So when we hear about this gospel, we say right, right off the bat, right? We're Northeasterners, man. 2016, what's the catch? You know, what's the bottom line? What am I going to get hit with after I do it? Truthfully, the gospel has no strings attached to it. Certainly not money or, or rites and rituals and things that you have to maintain. So he goes to Jerusalem to the, the, the believers who really amass there and, and how, what God uses to start really the pillars of the church, and he has to talk to them because there's some issues within the faith. Not within Jesus, but within the Christian community. So I'm going to jump to, and I'm going to do this kind of quickly, I just want to give you a little context, a little filler. Acts 15 gives us a little background. I'll do brief commentary on it. Acts 15, starting with verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Imagine somebody saying that to us today as Gentile believers. This is what was going on. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, that means it was pretty heated. There's a nice way of saying it. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. This has to be dealt with. This stuff is getting preached, and it's not the true gospel. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And it does bring great joy to see normally heathen, polytheistic people coming to faith in God, in Christ. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. It's amazing. Five, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, we might think this is ridiculous, but today in the church, it is, it's, it's in some denominations, there's all these burdens that people are laden down with, uh, and we just say, hey, come as you are. That's where Jesus did it. You know, we don't believe in burdening people. Well, in order for you to save, that's great that you believe and trust in Jesus, but we're going to add more stuff to you. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Verse 6, so the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter, and when there had been much dispute, see, we live in a culture where we don't raise our voices and it's impolite to argue about stuff, but you know what? This is the early church. If you believe passionately in the truth, you believe passionately about something, sometimes you are going to have, I mean, with, you know, not a fist fight, I hope, but you're going to be passionate about what you believe. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, now check, check out Peter, because we're going to see him flip a little, flip-flop a little bit. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, them, us, we being Jews, him, him speaking, and them being Gentiles. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke, a burden on the neck of the disciples 
which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. There's no difference. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek to the Lord, seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So this was a prophecy about the Gentiles. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain. If we have any rules, you know, anything that has to do with idolatry, that's messed up, obviously. You know, as Christians, we would, we would say that. Abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, common sense, from things strangled and from blood. For those, for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they wrote this letter. So they take this letter and they take it all throughout the regions of of the known world and say, hey, you're a Gentile. You believe in Jesus, you're saved. Don't worry about all this extraneous stuff. So this was what we would call a church council. It says, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seems good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than those necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. That's it. That was it. So basically what happens is the Apostle Paul starts off, according to verses 1 through 3, he has a private meeting with the Apostles, the other Apostles. And he says, hey, this is, this is something we have to deal with. They have a discussion, they agree, they send the letter, and then they, they have a, a public uh, council in the church, and they ratify it. Okay, they, they ratify it in the open. But basically what happens is, one of the things, again, we think it's silly. Oh, back then, if I'm, you know, I'm from Italian descent. I'm not from Jewish, so I come to the Lord and like, whatever, I'm an adult. And they're like, you got to be circumcised. I'm like, what? And you got to do this, 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 and this. Again, today it could be other things. You have to, um, you know, follow the book of order. You have to um, pray this way. You have to wear these garments. We see it, right? And the Bible, that's not in there. So in verse 3, it says, even Titus, who was a Gentile Greek Christian, was not compelled to be circumcised. You've got to find the humor in that, okay? So he's a Gentile Greek Christian, and he's an adult male, and they're saying, to be saved, drop him. We've got to circumcise you. 
And he's like, no way. <laughs> do, do I, is this a deal breaker? Do I really? It's, listen, as a child, a baby, it's one thing. Um, but, you know, when you get older, it's a lot more painful. And the recovery is a lot worse. So I can see why he wasn't compelled to do this. But, <laughs> but basically, Paul's saying, and you, if you read Acts 15 and you read Galatians, Paul's saying... You don't get it. These people, these Gentiles, they are saved. I'm seeing spiritual fruit. Um, it's genuine conversion. I know that these guys are saved and you want to dump these burdens on them and it's, it's, it's going to take the joy right out of it. And sometimes religion does that. You know? People come to the church and they say, well, I want to be a part of your church. And they sheepishly ask me, what do I have to do? You could be a part of our church. Yeah, but what do I have to do? I'm not going to lay any burden on you. You know what the Bible says. You're a You're a Christian. Read your Bible. The, the Holy Spirit will convict you. Listen, we'll help you. We'll guide you. We'll counsel you. But we're not going to dominate you and control you. I mean, that's not what we do in a church. But it says after 14 years, Paul goes to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. Now, I love this. The Holy Spirit finds it important to tell us that it took 14 years. Why? Again, we look at Paul as larger than life. But he was just a man. If three years he went up to Jerusalem, he might have failed. He might have gotten, letting his pride or his ego get, get the better of him. There's something for a believer to grow and to be seasoned. Sometimes you send the believer somewhere or you, give them a, a, you, you move them up too fast and you end up hurting them. You know? and, and we make that mistake sometimes as leaders. We think they're mature. And it, what it does is it hurts them and it hurts the people around them. Okay, and you see a lot of Christians, they seem to start out good and they, they, they bite these big, big ministry things and they fail. And, they, and they're sitting in a pile of ashes wondering what happened. But it took 14 years for the Apostle Paul to have the, the backing, um, the, the maturity, the growth, the Holy Spirit saying, okay, you're ready to go and do this. This was heavy. This could have changed the face of Christianity as we know it, Right? And he says, I don't want to have to run in vain. In other words, if this, bless you, <laughs> if this, see, she's upset about the whole thing too. I mean, listen, it's, it's very emotional stuff here. But what happens is, <laughs> Apostle Paul is saying, if, if keeping the law and circumcision and all this stuff is necessary, then I'm, me preaching this Jesus stuff, literally risking his neck to come under so many perils. We read this at the end of last Sunday's message. I'm wasting my time. And quite frankly, you and I are wasting our time talking to people about the Lord. If, if, if religion gets people into heaven, then Jesus wasted his time. He shouldn't have come here because we could have just got to heaven through religion. But that's not the fact. Verse 2, it says, he went up by revelation. God told him, you need to fight this fight, Paul. You're ready. You're my man. I'm tapping you. Who wants to really go into a fight where you're outnumbered? Not physically, not spiritually. But God said, you're ready. You're going to go to Jerusalem and you need to deal with this situation. Now, this is so key in, as believers because, you know, in the world we know, okay, we, we don't want to fight people, but if we're attacked or our family's attacked, something clicks in and there's a survival mechanism. Well, there's also fighting spiritually. We become believers. You, say, you ask yourself, well, what battles do I fight and what battles do I not fight? Not much different than in the world. Is God behind? Personally, me personally, I don't want to fight a battle unless God's with me. Because otherwise I'm going to fail. Otherwise I'm going to look foolish. I don't want that. 
So as Christians, and there's the spectrum, some people fight every battle. And then they get known as contentious. And other believers are like, oh, that person again. So when finally there is a real battle, they don't believe them. Then there's others that are just cowards spiritually. They don't want to fight any battle. (laughs) They're not coming after me. It doesn't affect me personally. I don't want to get involved. But we have to know the difference. You see what I'm saying? Verse 4. But this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty or our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, spiritual bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So second point, the Apostle Paul's recounting too why he was on this mission of going against the grain. Because of false brethren, and what did they do? Well, they spied. They sent, it's so weird when, if, we, if you call yourself a Christian and you're sending people out to spy on different works and, you know, just trying to find fault, and this is what they were doing. And the Apostle Paul was calling them out. Not politically correct, not what we do in polite society, but man, this guy literally risked his life to deliver the gospel, and he wasn't going to deliver something that was going to be perverted and ruined. It's that important because the, you know, the gospel has the power to pull people out of the judgment and be sending them to hell because we're all going to stand accountable for our sins except when we believe in Christ and what he did on the cross. This is a substitutionary death. Substitute. Right? I don't have to face judgment because Christ faced my judgment for my sins on the cross. He didn't do anything wrong. He took my sins. That's pretty awesome. Also, the false brethren desired to bring the believers into bondage bondage works have their place and it's it's so funny because you see james speak about right he says faith without works is dead and paul saying but works don't justify you in salvation and they're both right and there's an order order is very important so we're saved by grace not by works not paying it off not low interest rate it's done However, me personally, I work, I do things because I love the Lord. I want to please Him. I want to make Him happy. Jesus said the, the laborers are few. The harvest is ripe. I want to be one of those people laboring. Not because I have to. Not because I have to pay Him off because it was a free gift. But because I love Him. Because He first loved me. You see? And I wasn't particularly a nice person when He saved me. You know what I'm saying? And for those of us that know what we were saved from, we, we're more appreciative. I I think it seems like. So verse 5, he says, we didn't yield submission, not even for an hour. Again, there's a time to get along and go with the flow, and then there's a time to fight. And there's a time to resist. You know, Christians in the Middle East are giving their necks because they're they're called to be forced to convert or, or forced to water down or forced to whatever. You know, they refuse to renounce their faith in Christ. They refuse to water down the gospel. They refuse to say, well, Jesus isn't really real. In communist countries, if you really study communism, you have to worship the state. So this Jesus <laughs> can't be a resurrected Jesus. He can't be a Jesus coming again establish his kingdom because communist is the rule. So many people in our country play with the fanciful idea of communist countries. Study the doctrine of communism. So China has churches, 
but their churches have a very watered-down Jesus. What are we willing to fight for? What are we willing to stand up for? What about within our own communities, within our own uh, social groups? Good question. He called them out. He called them false brethren. That was pretty strong. Apostle Paul wasn't afraid to call out a heretic, right? Was, listen, I've, I've uh, had people come in here and say, wow, occasionally you read an article and you name names within the Christian community, false preachers. Yes, I do. Um, you know, sometimes they, people want to sue you. Well, you know what? I just use their words. If you don't like what I'm saying, then don't say it. <laughs> don't get in front of the camera. I'm going to take their words, I'm going to put it against the Scripture, and I'm going to call it out when it's heretical. You start believing this stuff, it's going to mishmash your mind. It's going to mess up your spiritual walk because you're going to be confused. The Apostle Paul was not afraid to call them false brethren and to talk about what they were doing was wrong. Verse 6, But those, alright, so, he, so here is where he has the interaction he gets to Jerusalem, he's talking to Peter and James, and, and it's kind of funny if you, if you look at his wording. He says, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows, personal, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. A little disclaimer there. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as for the gospel for the circumcision was committed to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, or the Jews, also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So that's why I gave you that context in Acts 15. You know, 29 verses, but you, you can start now putting them back and forth. And as a matter, these books were written by different people in different time periods, sometimes in different languages. People say, oh, the Bible was written. The Bible is not a book, like a, a story book. The Bible is just a compilation of manuscripts and vellum and Coptic and and Greek, and, and you know, I, I love the naysayers. You know, if you're going to attack the Bible, do your homework. Get a little knowledge before you start attacking it, because somebody who really knows where this stuff comes from, you know, why are you doing it? What's the underlying reason why you want to attack God's Word? Because there's plenty of proof out there. 25,000 manuscripts uh, of various languages all agreeing, some fragments, with the same thing of the New Testament. A lot less manuscripts, probably less than, less than 1% of that was Shakespeare's works. And we believe Shakespeare existed. Okay, a lot more evidence for the scripture. I love apologetics. You know, and you, you could just do this research. Go on your encyclopedia, you go online. It can be secular sources. You'll find those answers if you really want to find the answers. So here, the third thing is, the Apostle Paul recounts three, three out of four, the results of his mission of going against the grain vis-a-vis the Jerusalem council. Okay, and those in leadership agreed with Paul. You're right. This is the gospel. We got saved too. Yeah, we know. You and I, we got saved the same way. So why should we put this extra burden on the uncircumcised? Again, for us, it seems odd because most people in this church are Gentile believers. We have a handful of, of Jewish believers, 
But in the early church, it started as the Jewish people. Jesus came first to the Jews and then the Gentiles. But now it seems largely that the Gentiles have really come into the fold, which was something that God enjoys. And the Jews will have their time again in, in later eschatological times, and they'll come in in mass into the fold, as many are today. A lot of churches in Jerusalem, a lot of underground believers. It's very impressive what, what, what God is doing. So, verse 6. He, so he talks about the apostles, you know, and it's kind of funny because today, what do we do? You know, some Christians do this. They, well, I listen to so-and-so online. Well, well I, I read so-and-so's book. Well, so-and-so is coming out to New Jersey, and I'm going to his concert. They're name droppers. They throw out all these big names so that you think, wow, you really, you're really a great Christian because you follow all these big-name people. Here, Paul's saying, whatever, they're apostles, they're pillars. He was respectful, but it wasn't going to affect him. If they all got together and leaned on him, and it was 10 against 2, hey, we're apostles. We were apostles before you, buddy. It wasn't going to affect him because he, he didn't respect um, a person against another person, and God doesn't either, as he says here. So, I hate to say it, you know, people want to follow a man. In Catholicism, which I came out of, the Pope, he's big. And, and here's your man, here's your champion. And I hate to say it, in Calvary Chapel, because I can shoot within the tent, we do the same thing. I don't want to name names, but you know, there's some really big people in Calvary Chapel men and women, and some of them at conferences, they have tables cordoned off where if you're a common plebeian, you don't sit with them. <laughs> Only the celebrities sit with each other. I love our ministry team because at an event, I see my pastors and elders, and I do the same thing, and we go from table to table to table. I want to meet everybody. I want to try to put a little time in with everybody. I, we don't have favorites here, you know, and that's the way it should be. So, Yes, written 2,000 years ago. Can we make applications today? Absolutely. So the, the pillars of Christ, or the, the pillars of the faith established by Christ came down on the right side of the debate. They gave the right hand of fellowship to the Apostle Paul. You know what? We're not going to make the Gentiles jump through hoops. You're right. Absolutely. And we're going to write a letter, and we're all going to sign it, and we're going to have some, some copies made of it, and we're going to send it to all the churches so those Gentiles are not burdened by these by this yoke that some want to put on them. It was a major battle won for now. Verse 11. Things start to change now. But when Peter, and this is the Apostle Peter, he walked with the Lord, right? Everybody knows Peter. Even if you're not a Christian, you know who Peter is. Hey, can you name the 12 uh, apostles? Peter, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Matthew, John, uh, I don't know after that. So everybody knows Peter. It says, but when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? Very hypocritical. So the fourth point for today is the Apostle Paul recounts for the ongoing mission of going against the grain from within with respect to Peter. This is 
Listen, I, rem- I remember high school, and I do remember cafeteria drama, and I remember a lot of stuff. Um, you can probably find this in any Christian school that has a cafeteria. There's still drama, but it's Christian drama. Shouldn't be, but it is. What should we, and I see a lot of smiles. I see a good, good products coming out of Christian school, and I see a lot of bad products coming out of Christian schools. But this is, you know, cafeterias are a great study in psychology. You ever sit and you watch and observe cafeterias? Who comes in, who they sit with, who gets up to move out of the way, who comes together, who is in a group, and then a cooler group comes and they get up and they move and they take their food and they sit with the better group. It's, it's, you know, it shouldn't be in the church, but it is. It is. So there's more to it. The Apostle Peter gets called out for being a hypocrite. What did he do? There was an issue with one behavior and two doctrine, and he intermingled them, and he set a really bad witness to the Gentiles, making them feel like they were second-class citizens. And basically what he would do is he would, he would eat with the Gentiles. And then when certain men came from James, the Jewish believers, they walked in, he got up. I could picture Peter sitting there, Paul says, you're living as a Gentile. You're not bound by all these, this yoke yourself. You're free. You have joy. I can picture Peter eating uh, barbecued pork ribs with the Gentiles. You know what I'm saying? And the Jews come in, and he gets up, and he's wiping his mush. <clears throat> Got to go. And he goes and sits with the Jewish believers. Now, I don't know that that happened like that, but it's a good analogy. <laughs> so Peter felt he had to separate. He didn't want to offend his own people. And that's a problem. And maybe God has called us as Christians to this issue as well. Maybe some of you are still in those social groups or cliques, and your clique does that, and it's wrong. And maybe God has called you to resist that and say, this is wrong. We're supposed to be Christians. What the heck are we doing? Nothing wrong with saying that. And if you look at this, he says it, in front of everybody. This is a public thing. I could just picture, you know, Paul, I don't know, maybe he had Asperger's or something. God bless him. But he would just pop up like a jack-in-the-box and I could just see him making a beeline for Peter and go, what are you doing? I saw what you did and they all saw what you did and they think that they're less than because of the way you treated them and that's wrong. I've seen that as a pastor. I've seen that within Calvary Chapel and it's ugly. It's really ugly. When one demographic, it's almost like, again, it's, you know, it's a lonely place sometimes when you say to yourself, I really don't care who likes me. I just have to please God. You can find yourself spending many nights in a lonely place because your group will ostracize you, but you're doing the right thing and you will be blessed. I can guarantee you that. Again, it's a, it's a, a study in psychology. When people, are you going to go with the flow or are you going to go against the grain? You know, your group may be a catty group. They might think that they're all that. They might think that they're better than everyone else. Who says that a book written 2,000 years ago can't have an application 2,000 years later? Amen? So basically, even, <laughs> he says, even Barnabas. Everybody loved Barnabas. He was the, the brother or the son of encouragement. He had this incredible name. It's like wherever Barnabas went, he was like bringing people together. He was encouraging people. And even Barnabas got caught up in the hypocrisy. Hypocrisy can spread like poison in a well. It doesn't take long before it mixes through the whole thing. 
Peter should have known better. Let's, let's refresh Peter's memory. In Acts 10, God calls Peter. Right? He's a, a believing Jew. And again, the Jews, they had this ingrained prejudice that had to be broken. And, and God called him. He had to call him uh, supernaturally and say, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And there's a whole thing with how God reached him and said, you've got to go to Cornelius' house. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile commander. These were the very people that were oppressing Peter's people. Think about this. Think about today. Those people. Who, who does that? Hopefully not as Christians. Those people. I'll mix with anybody but those people. I have an ethnic hatred. It goes back a long way. No way, no how. However, Peter was called. And he went to Cornelius' house, the Gentile commander. He went into his house. No doubt he ate with him. He baptized him. And this was something a Jew did not do, especially with a Roman. But God breaks those barriers. And as a matter of fact, Peter finds himself in Acts chapter 11 when he's called on the carpet. What are you doing in Cornelius' house? He says, listen, this was supernatural. God told me to do it. And he starts to defend this Gentile commander, this Roman. Pretty amazing stuff. That's what God does. Don't limit God. Don't limit Him. But Paul gives it straight in verse 14. He says, Peter, you're a Jew living in the manner of Gentiles. In other words, Peter, you have this freedom. Okay, listen, the law and its, these certain um, um, civil and ceremonial things had their place, but now you have this freedom in Christ. And it doesn't mean that he was living in the manner of Gentiles as he was being sinful. It just meant that he wasn't bound by such restrictions. He goes, and Peter, you're expecting these Gentiles to live as Jews. Peter, do you see the hypocrisy in all this? So I'm going to read the last few verses, starting with verse 15. Now this is where it gets doctrinal, so I try to separate this and then try to do a little commentary as I'm reading it. He says this, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now remember, he's, Paul was a great debater. He was a, a, a great rabbi. He studied under Gamaliel, who was also, I think, the grandson of Rabbi Hillel. And some of you, if you drive around this area, you'll see uh, Hillel temples. So this is all, let I me mean, just bring this all together um, and, and show you all the connections here. So what these rabbis did was they would often debate. And they would often take a subject and, you know, just argue it back and forth. And, and so Paul brought his brilliance into being a Christian, and he would make the, the polemic. He would make the argument for the person who was antagonistic and then break down that argument. So follow this. He says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, and, and again, the Jews looked at the Gentiles as second class, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So in other words, the law. The law gave us a few things, right? God gives the law. And his people look at it and go, wow, that's a righteous standard. I mean, talk about upright. If you can keep those commandments, boy, you're, you're something special. But it's a righteous standard. Two, what the, God's people found out really quickly was they couldn't attain the law. You know? Even the Ten Commandments was just a, a microcosm of the law. It's a hard thing. It's even harder when Jesus said, 
If you think about hurting somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. If you think about someone who's not your spouse, spouse, you've committed adultery. So what Jesus did was, people say, oh, Jesus is so soft and fluffy. What Jesus did was, he compounded the problem. He said, you don't even have to commit it with your hands and your feet. All you have to do is think about it, and you've broken the law in your heart. So everybody looked at the situation and goes, we're condemned. The Apostle Paul tells us that the law was a tutor to Christ. And what we have to come to when we look at the law is our need for salvation. We find out that we're, we look at the law, we realize, I look at the law any day of the week, I see that I'm a sinner, I'm going to speak for myself, and that I need Jesus. Yes, he saved me, but I need him in a daily walk. Some say, well, I only need to be a good person. Again, that's foolish, because Jesus died for no reason. If you say that, you can't say that as a Christian, because you're in contradiction. Christ died for our sins to free us from the bondage of the law, to free us from our sin that condemns us. So if we say as a Christian, you only need to be a good person, we're spitting on the grace of God. We're watering it down, we're making it cheap. And God's grace is not cheap. It stands alone. So let me continue. Verse 17. But if, Jewish brothers, while we seek to be justified by Christ... We ourselves are found as sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. So in other words, some of the argument was that, um, well, yeah, we're Christians and we're saved, but we're still sinning. And then we see the law and we, and we really need to try to keep that too. Do we want to do right to please God? Yes. But you can't, t- listen, just because you don't feel spiritually saved, don't trust your emotions because our emotions are tied to our physical bodies. Our spirit is something completely separate, which will carry us into eternity. So, so me, before I became a Christian, I, with my mind, with my body, with everything I had, I sinned. I planned my sin. I enjoyed my sin. I didn't feel guilty for my sin. When I became a Christian, things started to change. Now I became, in a sense, bipolar spiritually. Because part of me still wanted to do that stuff, and the other part was saying, what are you? You can't. You know, you, God loves you. He did. And it was more of an encouraging thing. So as Christians, we go through this world, at times we have to fight our flesh because our flesh is very powerful, very powerful. It's like you take a, a, a beast and, and put him in a, some type of restraining situation and you, and he's, you starve in him and you put, try to get food and he'll break that thing down to get to that food. When, when I have two um, rescue pits and uh, you read all about pits and what they do to these poor dogs, and uh, one of the things they do to make them vicious is they starve them. And they use food as a motivation to, to be vicious and to be aggressive. And one of the things you do if you, if you get, you know, not every, you should really read and check with people before you get a rescue. But one of the things you have to check is for food aggression. And what they'll do is the way they train these or test these dogs, they'll have like a fake hand and arm. And as the dog is eating, because you're not going to put your hand there, you're not stupid if you do this for a living, you're going to put a fake hand to go grab the food, and if that dog latches on to that fake hand, that's food aggression. So sometimes our, fl- our flesh can be like that. Because what's happening is when we become a-, a Christian, we start to starve our flesh. We try to take the old man and keep him in the basement. That's the old me. I don't want him to come out again. And sometimes he bangs on the door, and he tries to, to pickaxe some of the blocks to get out. And we wrestle with the old man during this life. But we're spiritual beings, and one day we won't have to deal with that anymore. That being said, where was I? <laughs> so, 
Um, anyway, so basically, some of the Jews had this idea, Jewish Christians, okay, but I'm still sinning, let me, let me bring the law back into it. And they started to have this hodgepodge of law and grace. Verse 18, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor or a sinner, transgress to go across. So I died to the law. Not that we shouldn't want to keep the Ten Commandments, but we're not, we're not condemned by the law anymore. So why would I start to rebuild it again and go back to the old ways? What's the sense in having Christ? For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in other words, it's the new life in Christ. Not that I live in the flesh, meaning I'm, I, I want to sin all the time, but the flesh, meaning, meaning the soma, the body. Okay, We're still stuck in these bodies. We're redeemed in a spiritual sense, but we're still tied to this world with its one atmosphere of pressure and its gravity component and all these different things that we negotiate ourselves through life in, but our spirit is housed in our physical body. It's an unusual concept, but it's, that's what it is. So the life that I still live in the flesh, which is tied to death, um, my, my example of the gym, you, know, <laughs> you keep trying to maintain and you, you realize as you get older that gravity and, and age and stuff and DNA breaking down is definitely has its effect on you okay I don't know what age it happens at but there's just the, the expression over the hill and going downhill you know what I'm saying you're trying to slow the <laughs> pump the brakes as you're going downhill uh, so you get the concept verse 21 I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died in vain okay and we can look back and go oh circumcision silly keeping the law, silly. But we have our own things in modern Christianity. 2,000 years of men to come in through denominations and mess up what Christ started. And some people today, they're loyal to their denomination. You know, I'm a Wesleyan, I'm a Calvary Chapel. And we, some in Calvary Chapel have this idea that we're the greatest because we're Calvary Chapel. Not so. There's some awesome people in some really good denominations that f- still follow the word of the law and don't put bondage. You know, we need to have unity with those people instead of trying to compete with them. So this is what you have. Now, let me just say this. Peter was acting in spiritual matters, or in Latin, ex cathedra, and he was in error. Supposedly, Peter was the first pope. And there is a doctrine called papal infallibility. Now, that doctrine came about some 1,800 years after this incident. You've got to love men. Well... It's been almost 2,000 years later, and I'm going to decree this, and you all got to listen to it. And by the way, I'm one of those people that it's decreed about because I'm the Pope, so you have to all listen to me no matter what I say. You have to obey. Okay, we'll obey you. People love to follow men. Let me give you the doctrine of fallibility. Every man and every woman, except for Jesus Christ, is a sinner. And we will fail you. We will mess up. We are not perfect. So that's, it actually takes expectations off the leaders. We're just men. We're just women. Okay, so that's the doctrine of fallibility, which is more accurate than infallibility. So Peter, right in the beginning, messed up big time on spiritual matters and had to be rebuked. And you can, you can get the impression that Peter did the right thing. Okay, because God still used him afterwards. Let me just say this. There are times that you and I 
may have to go against the grain from within. And right now, some of you are thinking of a situation as I'm talking about it that maybe you're dreading because the Lord has convicted you about. You know what I'm saying? I've got my own social circles. I've got my own uh, biological and family circles, professional circles. Okay, and you have yours. I know what I have to do, and you know what you have to do. But again, it's so easy to point the fingers at the atheists and this one and that one. And sometimes when people do that a lot, they're trying not to expose their flanks. It's a straw man argument. We need to be more concerned what's going on within the church and fixing it so that we can be a light to the outside world. And people come in and say, I love this church. I love these people. You know what? I, I, don't, I can't put my finger on it, but I just left today and I felt so much love. What nice people. And, and there's just something spiritual. I can't put my finger on it. It's the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul fought to preserve the truth about doctrine and behavior. And, and because he got it right, he preserved, he helped to preserve the very thing that still, 2,000 years le later, leads people out of judgment and condemnation and into God's light and to its promises. Today, Christianity has become a multi-billion dollar industry. And many have capitalized on it. And, many, and I, I don't know, God's just such a long-suffering God. Some people, I don't know why he doesn't judge them sooner. Jesus spoke about Matthew 13, the, the, the mustard seed. It's very unusual to, for it to go into, grow into a tree and then the birds nest into it. And Calvary Chapel's interpretation is that, is that you can see, again, not the true church, but Christianity growing into this thing that's become so abundant that even the, the fowl, the birds of the air are nesting in it and there's things that get into it that are not godly. Okay? For us, it may be our circle of Christians correcting doctrine or behavior that needs to be corrected. And we might lose friends, and we might sit a few nights alone as a result of it. For Paul, he ran the risk of alienating the other apostles. And in the last few verses, I believe uh, Paul loved James, and he loved Peter, and he loved all those guys, and he ran the risk, and he definitely loved Barnabas. And they partnered in, in missionary trips. And he ran the risk of losing them all and going out on his own with no backing uh, through, the, through the community of the church, but knowing he was right. Thankfully, thankfully, when he went against the grain from the inside, they saw the light and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. It's good to go to battle when it's a righteous cause. May the Lord give us the discernment as we leave this place to know the difference between the two. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.